when was the last time you just sat and had a beer and didn't have any responsibilities? Um, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. I was just thinking about how, as I was walking here, I was like, oh, it's going to be such a, uh, such a relaxing thing to do to just talk about myself. Yeah. And then I did wonder about the amount of narcissism that, that you know, implied. I think, I think that, <clears throat> I don't think that's super, I, I, like we were talking about before, I think if you, it's it, the level of listening back to yourself, talk about yourself is probably when you hit narcissism. Yeah. But I think if you're, if, if someone like myself is giving you the, um, the, uh, the okay by asking you questions about yourself, I think you can feel, feel very comfortable about it. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, yeah, you just get used to it. Uh, the idea, like, of talking about yourself as part, kind of an important part of your career, which is ridiculous. Yeah. If you kind of analyze it too much, it's, it becomes really stupid. The, the concept that that would be kind of, it's actually a, a, you know, it's a small percentage, but it's, it's, it's notable. It's a notable part of the, my career choice. Yeah. Uh, do you, um, welcome to Harco Meets Humans. We're here with Lawrence Arabia. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. James Mill. I thought you were talk- saying welcome to the audience. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. To both. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's a really interesting point. Like I, I was saying before, I kind of struggle with certain interviews, um, especially like short ones or radio ones because they feel very performative, but I don't know how to perform in them. Because if I don't perform, then I, I have a lot of the thoughts that you're thinking about there, which is like, this is kind of silly. Um, I, I don't know what we're talking about or why we're talking about it. I tend to get into that kind of like a spin, especially with the shorter ones. Yeah. I had a breakthrough with that a few years ago when I started thinking about radio interviews as, as improvisational rather than like to not really give them too much credence as far as actually coming up with meaningful answers. Right. Just to start talking <laughs> yeah. and to see what came out. And just fill the silence as quickly and thoughtlessly as possible, and then that would be that tended to work. I yeah, I think that's a really good strategy because most of the, I guess when when I when when musicians approach radio, it's like oh, this is about music, but radio is kind of about entertainment more than music. So probably like actually. Just putting it out there and and having and doing the thinking of it as an improvisational thing is actually probably way more in lane and in line with what the show actually is. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it works better than you know. I've got this very serious thing that I'm got really thoughtfully got to try and uh, promote in a very thoughtful way. <laughs> Instead, it's just just go on there and say some crap and try and be entertaining and not think about it too much. Is was yeah helpful because you do have. Quite like I would say, like the um, the the ambiance of your career is slightly like tongue in cheek and lighthearted as well. Is that is how much of that is just the kind of like natural you, or is it more like what you're talking about, where it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna kind of um, lean into this other side of my personality for this stuff. Yeah, I don't. I haven't really psychoanalyzed how what the comedy. Like why the comedy's there or the tongue-in-cheek aspect. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a big – it's kind of – it's weirdly 
even though it's about a silly thing, it's kind of a big question. Of course. Another way to ask it is that, like, do you feel like you would want to talk more seriously about the music that you actually make more often? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can respond however. I think I just, I think I've got the kind of personality that uh, I don't dictate terms with my personality. I kind of, uh, I'm a octopus type personality that sort of, you know, responds to their surroundings and changes, changes shape. Right. Um, or colour or whatever octop- octopi do. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, like, I'm happy to uh, go either way um, and I don't get frustrated with, like, I, I, yeah, as, it's almost like the, the performative element of an interview is, uh, is its own thing. I don't have an agenda with that. Like, I, I, it exists on its own terms. So if the interview's heading in a comic tongue-in-cheek direction, then I'll happily go that way. Yeah, right. Uh, and if I'm being asked very serious questions, I'll be flattered and, and, go that, and, and go down a serious alley. I like being taken seriously. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, well, you do write seriously good songs. Thank you. That's okay. That's, your, that's like, you try and, I try and put a compliment in at the start. Good. Yeah, go I try on. not to over, because I can, I can be um, quite like overbearing with my enthusiasm for other people's work. And outside of New Zealand, it's not as big of a problem, but inside New Zealand, it tends to like make people quite flustered sometimes, uh, which is quite funny. Um, I, I, I did want to like, in terms of, uh, I wanted to talk a, few, a bit about a few of your, your projects, mm-hmm. but most of them are actually like, how uh, is about you as like a collaborator? Because I think you've, you're quite not unique in a way, but you and some of the people that you associate with musically tend to be like quite prolific and quite creative collaborators. Um, and the the first one I kind of want to ask about was that Barb record. Mm. And just I for me and like a group of my friends, I think like a quite a big section of New Zealand music. That record was just kind of came out of nowhere, and everyone has has quite a special place in a lot of people's hearts. Right. Um, what what was the what was that collaboration process like making that record? Um, I mean that it was what was that like? It's a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, we did it. Tw- we recorded it twelve years ago. It was a very foreign experience to me making a record in that kind of collaborative way because I just had these made these very solo focused records up until then. Yeah. But we went in there into we booked you know Roundhead A for a month <laughs> with yeah. no songs written, yeah, and just began to jam, uh, which is yeah, really, I mean, kind of old fashioned way of doing it. Were, and were you comfortable writing in front of people at that? Had you done that much before? Well, it, not really. I mean, I had like I the jamming aspect. Um, is something that I'm a little bit out of practice at now, but I think we got into that quite well. Um, like it was actually super productive for about a week or two, and then when we started to write, have to write lyrics and melodies, that's it all sort of broke down, and people started using the internet a lot more, and uh, it then it it got to a rush at the end where we had to finish it, 
Yeah, um, right. because no one could agree on how to what what were the lyrics lyrical content was going to be or where the melody was going to go. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a strange process um, in that regard. Like it was, yeah. And and in terms of like the pro- say like that compared to where you usually maybe your like usual process of writing a song, did the like blocks or the like hard parts of the songwriting, is, is lyrics the same for yourself if you're writing yourself uh, uh, and in collaboration? Or is, is that where it kind of like a lot more thought has to go into it for you? I just think uh, either way it's really hard, but mm, you know, not having to negotiate uh, an element of conflict or, or just general personal negotiations about you know the direction of a song at that point yeah like uh takes that you know when i'm doing it on my own that complexity isn't there um uh but you know the composition of the music was in a lot of ways way easier because it's just you're just making music Mm. uh without thinking about it too much um but yeah definitely very different kind of experience but yeah it's definitely like a little bit in the vague um, misty memories yeah. uh, part department of my brain. Uh, yeah. I think uh, uh, it comes, I listen to it quite often still, I think. We have it on this playlist, the New Zealand music playlist I play in my cafe at the moment and like I'm Not a Bird comes on and all those kinds of songs, which I just, uh, yeah. It, it seems like a very unique album, probably because of all that tension in it and like where it's going, you know what I mean? Are yeah. you, do you find it hard to? Are you like a good, decisive decision maker in creative work? Well, I can't decide the answer to that question. So, <laughs> so I'm going to guess no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. In some regards, I am. I, I, I don't find it too hard to just let go, and I'm not. Uh, and in some regards, I'm really not a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Like I'm aware that that we're all. Um, you know, th- there's no perfect piece of art, and uh, and I'm, I've been able to let a lot of things go. Um, you know, maybe before they were finished, <laughs> right? But to some degree, just being like, that's just life, or <laughs> I just had something else to do, and that was what happened. You haven't got like a vice grip sense of attachment. No, no. And um, do you? Would will you? Would you share things before they're done? I, I do struggle with that. I think most people would struggle with it. I, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not a big feedback person. Mm. I don't like to share things. I find it, you know, I find criticism difficult to take. Uh, const- you know, I find it difficult to share work and, and works in progress as a general rule. Yeah. Yeah. That's up, like, I... I uh, my favorite thing is really just to like I'll show someone towards the end, just to have the like give my brain the awareness that someone else is listening to it at the same part at the same time, and I just hear that thing where you just hear it differently because of the like change in the atmosphere in the room or like the pressure, and I don't even need to know what they thought of it. Just that experience of having someone else listen to it next to me will be like, oh fuck, I need to change that that that. And that. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Uh, I totally identify with that. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. I'm always yeah. just like, oh, don't, don't yeah. worry. Like. It's the same thing as like watching a, like a TV program or something that you like and then you're sitting with them and they're not laughing. <laughs> and it's like, oh, maybe this isn't actually very good. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, totally. It's so strange that you can just put someone in a room and the fact that they're there listening, it, it's like it gives you an extra set of ears. It, just this weird sense of objectivity that suddenly like, oh, I've really got to fix that. Yeah. Like, that's so, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, just, it was, I actually just had quite like a visceral reaction to your, to that um, playing like a video for someone and they're just not laughing. Like, mm. That's I because I don't I don't deal very well with like cringe content or like like cringiness. It it just really gets me and like that that feeling is one I haven't had for a while. That I I just hate that feeling. Like oh no, mm. especially when it's like oh we've got eight minutes of this video left that I thought was really funny. The worst is putting on a stand up. I used to like have people over and put on like a stand up comedy set and that they'd be like, hmm. I'm like, cool, we've got 40 minutes of this left and I'm finding this quite funny. So like, just like, do I stop? Do I stop it? Or do I keep, do we go to the end? Does it get better? Do they laugh? I don't know. That yeah. sets me off. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, one of life's real traumas, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Um, do you watch a lot of, like outside of music, what's your like media consumption like? Are you like a big TV watcher or a movie watcher or? Yeah, I mean, I... I tend, if I'm just watching stuff on my own, uh, I tend to watch comedy stuff. Um, uh, if I'm watching stuff with my girlfriend, we normally find some Scandinavian crime show. Crime is always safe. Yeah. Safe line. Crime's a safe zone. But yeah, I mean, my <laughs> own, yeah, like I, I tend to, I don't gravitate towards serious stuff mm. uh, if I'm just on my own. How much you. Because you've got a, a new family and like a family life as well. How much time are you actually, are you getting much time on your own? Like are you getting much space to kind of like be you and like how does that impact what you're doing? Because you're still working on a lot of stuff. It's it's a, um, being, being myself is a, uh, it, it requires some preparation mm. and it's, it's controversial uh, and it, re yeah, it requires planning and negotiation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's amazing when you, yeah, thinking back on, on, on what it used to be like, it's so different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. These are some big questions, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you start thinking about like, oh, actually, I want to seriously answer this question, and and but you've actually raised this major issue in my brain. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> I've got to. Sorry, I've got to work this out for the next half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy, man. Because like, I don't know. I think we're really bad. I say we. I think maybe I mean like the public or like um, art enjoyers or whatever, but realize, like keeping in mind that people's, people go through stages in their life, like, and they just think of this artist as just this artist and why aren't they just putting out, not in the sense of like, why aren't they just putting out another album, but like as if the person behind this project is some kind of like static individual. Yeah. And I find it actually like quite interesting to re remind people that they're just totally not. Because yeah. I think it's such a simplification 
and it actually takes away from the enjoyment of the art a little bit sometimes I think yeah I think if you can you know if you're a fan of a person to it adds a whole other dimension to be able to understand what's going on in their life and how they're responding to it um yeah but I, I definitely used to as a fan I definitely had that 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 sense as well that's just you know before I had kids you just like why why are they making crap music now <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, and it's given me a lot more respect for people who, you know, as they've gotten older, have kept being. I mean, I guess the thing is, I respect on one level. I really respect people who uh, have kept being creative, vibrant people. Uh, kept making vital work as even though they've had kids. Mm. But the other thing I've respected is just people who are able to to have some degree of creative, um, you know, vitality, but also aren't just dicks who ignore their kids. Like I, res- you know, I've come to respect people who have a balance of that. You know, yeah. I, you know, I, I've become very suspicious of these really intense artistic personalities who seem to have I don't know have no time for their family because it's it can. At, it can be kind of hard to pick those kinds of people up when they're young because then they act the same as every other young person acts when they're mm. doing the thing they really like, you know? When you're without responsibilities, it's hard to tell how they're going to be with with responsibilities. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, it's a really um, in- interesting juggling act. That, that Yeah, and it's, it's constantly changing. Yeah, my, my feelings about it are always changing. I think it's nice. It's like a... It really is a trigger for like, I'm a big fan of like artistic phases in a career. I tend to, even if I really like the thing that a band or an artist is doing, if it's just like constantly that thing, like almost like a rep, apart from ACDC, but um, that it's kind of the same thing over and over, I do tend to like start losing a little bit of interest. And I'm far more drawn to people who, for whatever reason, tend to have big phases in their career. One of them for me at the moment is um, actually Martin Phillips and the Chills. Like, I Pink Pink Frost is like one of my favorite songs, and there's a lot of like Male Monster from the Id and like a whole bunch of his earlier records. Like, I I really love. But the last album he put out and this new album that's coming out, I just think is like a whole nother a whole nother thing, and I I I, I love it even more. I think, and it's very clearly a much different Martin Phillips with the same kind of sensibilities and skills putting it through. And I, I really enjoy that. I want people, I, I would love artists to kind of go through a bit more in life or a bit more in, in, in creativity and have these different phases than do the same stuff over and over. Yeah. And to be able to, you know, process, you know, like to be able to process those experiences through their art, you know, those experiences are totally different, you know. Mm. Uh, the experiences of being a, you know, a twenty-year-old versus a fifty-five-year-old or whatever, yeah, it's just totally different. And so, if, if it's so interesting that someone like that can put that put that lens on those totally different experiences, and it should result in completely different work. It must be so easy to be detached from it all at, at a certain point, you know, like to just get be like, well. 
I can't keep up with I can't keep up with all the stuff, or I can't I I don't have any time to find the new thing. Like, I, I, you were talking about that I think in the Highlighter Records Reduction Agents um, podcast. I think you you either like insinuated you kind of talked about the idea that you're kind of taking some time to let a, a music kind of find its way with you at the moment. Yeah, I, and I thought that was such an interesting and cool like not idea but like a attitude yeah well i'm just not sure um i can't remember the exact what exactly what i was saying in the interview but just i i found myself you know the subjects that i was gravitating towards writing i was i wasn't finding them to be much of a turn on mm. and i was just you know like when i used to write songs as a 23 year old most of them were kind of just funny sort of sexual frustration songs and and you know and that's kind of for me like a lot of what the pop music i mean i think most like even just listen to pop music today like uh it's puppy love mm. and it's kind of varying degrees of just kind of veiled horniness or open horniness <laughs> yeah um but um but some on some level that's just fantastic. But it's also unbecoming of a thirty-nine-year-old to write about that. And so the and so topics that I'm writing about or, th- or gravitating towards involve it's like involves my kids and and just all this middle-class, middle you know, approaching middle-age stuff. And I don't want to write about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I don't. I it's a truthful experience, but I. But the kind of music that I really like, I don't think it has that content, and mm. I don't, and I don't feel like processing it at the at this stage. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I if it becomes a novel or something else, then I'm, I, you know, I don't, I'm not against processing it. I just don't think I want to process it in the in the medium of a pop song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. And do you do you have a sense of like? Do you have much attachment to kind of the styles or the like perception of of your music? And when you're when when you're sitting down and thinking about it at that level, like you're like whether I want to complete the song or not, do that. I'm definitely not worried about perceptions, but the only the thing I I, I often shoot shoot the songs down just because if they're treading on similar territory mm. that I've already been on before, right? Or you know or, or, or the same chords or um yeah i don't know just i it, it, as the novel like it used to be that the songs had every song had a novelty factor for me and it had a, this ex, this experience that was new and exciting but the more songs you write the fewer you have that experience and so uh yeah yeah how i, I because I totally understand what you're saying. And I, it makes me think of someone like Paul McCartney and like how the fuck does like he keep writing songs at his age that he finds like s- subject matter wise like still interesting and not just like, oh yeah, I've written three of these kinds of songs before in my life, you know? That kind of shit blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I mean, like it must just be a kind of bullheadedness because I mean, for me, I think... <laughs> I can tell it's like oh this isn't as good as yeah. something I've done before right and you know 
he's not an idiot. He must be able to know that his new record's nowhere near as good as some, like, Sergeant Pepper's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, you know, I mean, you know, I admire that in a way. It's just like, look, I'm, I'm not as good as I used to be. I'm almost 80. But you just push through it. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, yeah, I don't know. At some point, I'll probably start pushing through it and just making shit. Well... <laughs> <laughs> We'll just call it your another phase, mm. you know. Um, the shit period. <laughs> um, I like that. Have you so like? We've kind of just described. You got a bit of like a a purposeful gap of you're making space. Let's say, you know? yeah. Um, you've also been in that space. You you seem very connected to actually what's happening here in Auckland or in New Zealand at the moment. Has like your I see you playing tambourine for Nar Noise, who are great. Um, we'll talk about uh, going live with Chabs and Milky, and you've got on on the lineup with that. You've got a lot of really cool up and coming bands, and also like established bands. Like, have you always been quite kept quite connected to what's going on, or is this because you've got that space now? I, I think it's because I got this space. I mean, there was definitely a period, and it's probably just pretty much dated to when I started when I had my first child mm. um, of losing touch with the scene. And uh, I doing going live with Chabs and Milky became a an opportunity to 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 see new bands or you know contemporary bands. Yeah, um, yeah. I just went. I think I just went through a bit of a blasé period, and also just a time when it's hard to get out. And and the only time I'd get out would be to go and you know go and see Liam Finn or something. It would just be like, oh, friends' bands playing. But mm. I wouldn't be going to Whammy Bar to and check out like, oh, let's see what this new band's like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you know, I was also like, whenever I, I went to Whammy Bar once and got horrendously drunk because I was out of practice, <laughs> and so I got a bit cautious about doing that. Fair. Yeah. You get like, well, it's just so exciting as well, you know. Yeah, I was really excited. Like that's basically a blowout. Like you were just ready for a blowout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel yeah. So, um, how did you get? How did you find? So, did you find our noise through Chabs and Milky? The first time I heard our noise was in the Flying Out store, and Matthew Crawley was playing some of their demos. Shout out Matthew Crawley. Yeah, and then yeah, I just um, I don't think I'd seen them until they came on going live with Chabs and Milky, but I really loved them, and um, yeah, and and lots of those other bands that played on there. It was just, it was just suddenly just as in the situation where I was having to book bands. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, had to know who the bands are. So we should, for people who don't know, going live with Chabs and Milky, how did that, um, it, it's a, it's a live session filmed and streamed on v, through VHS cameras. Yeah. Um, and you're, you are filming and recording and live mixing. Yeah. So I do the, um, so James Danzi and I do it. He's yes. Chabs, I'm Milky. Beautiful, and um, which is just some nicknames that we've had with each other for a, for a, since we we're in the Lawrence, like since James was in the Lawrence Arabia band, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, he um, he basically does the sound, and I do the pictures, and I've been collecting these old VHS cameras uh, off Trade Me. For, right. Um, well, it, it started a few years ago. I bought one. I can't even remember why I bought one. I think I was like, it was probably semi-inspired by Simon Ward who had um, 
was doing a lot of videos on VHS cameras and he did a really beautiful one for Lawrence Arabia for the listening times and then I just like really loved the aesthetic and and bought one of these cameras and then filmed a bit of stuff on it and then at some point I was like, oh, I'm going to film some, do some kind of like in-studio session for myself. And, you know, every time you have an album out, suddenly there's like this huge desperate demand for content. Oh, how do I, yeah. Yeah, God, and yeah. so I just, yeah, I maybe bought one or two more video cameras and then, yeah, at some point James and I had this idea to do, use the video cameras and stream them, stream online. Because are you and James um, in the same zone like in your lives and your creative things as well? Is that, is that why it's kind of like come together at this point? Yeah, I mean, we've been sharing the studio for about four or five years. Mm. Um, but yeah, we've we've had a, a long creative history together and he's got a, a young child as well. So we're, yeah, I think, you know, we've always been kind of uh, working with each other and kind of challenging each other to do interesting things mm. um, since we've known each other. Yeah, his beard is wild. Yeah, it's actually trimmed back down at the moment. Okay. But, but yeah, he's got a very varying aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, it does. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I commend. There yeah. needs to be. There needs to be more like photographical archiving of his um, transitions and final forms. Yeah, yeah, he's a yeah, he's an inspiration. Um, and so we should talk about because I I'm really excited about it. Is this tour that you're doing as going live with Chaps and Milky. It, my question is like the old VHS cameras yeah. and, and like interfacing of technology and you're, you are streaming the live shows, right? Yeah. Is that a nightmare? What, or is it actually easier than it seems? Like, cause that, that seems like mind boggling to I me. I mean, it was quite, we had some fairly catastrophic screw-ups during the season that we did last year, mainly to do with the firewire cable coming out of the sound card and stopping sound transmitting on the stream. Right. Um, and so we we're kind of anxious about those kind of screw-ups, but we just had like a session the other night and then we couldn't get the... like. <laughs> When I when we did the session the, the sessions last year, I didn't have any monitoring, so there was no I couldn't see what was going through the cameras. Oh, so all I would do would be just like, well, I want to see the drummer now, and we had a camera on the drummer, and I'd press that button, and it would go to the drummer. But I thought, well, we're gonna upgrade the system, and we'll have monitoring. But we tried to set, you know, I, we'd hide this piece of equipment, a multi-view thing that would would input the video videos and and then output them to a monitor uh, but that piece of equipment wouldn't accept um, 576i PAL format okay and so basically we're just like a lot of I, I guess we're coming up against these things with like you try and make it more complex and more functional and actually modern technology won't interface with that old technology so yeah we're definitely there's some really major challenges with that and we're doing a lot. There's a lot of stuff going on behind, behind yeah. the scenes right now, which is quite stressful. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I just wanted to like kind of commend you guys, and because I think it's one of the coolest things happening here, and like the and like the media space for musicians. Like it's uh, everything seems so 
either it doesn't exist or what is does kind of exist is so kind of corporate and plastic a lot of the time. And then what you guys are doing just seems like such a great creative extension of of that. Uh, I, I don't want to say only musicians could also do, but it's like it is as creative as what music you're putting on there. And I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That's, I mean, that's definitely what we're trying to do. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, the, you know, well, for one, there's always this, as I was saying, like there's always this kind of relentless demand for content. You just, whenever you put a record out, it suddenly just becomes so exhausting. Um, so I, I guess to be able to provide something that, that creates that content that's actually kind of fun uh, is is a cool thing on one level. I mean, that's the podcast for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah it's, yeah, it's such a weird thing. It's just like you just have this constant, it's like a beast that needs to be fed. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we love doing it. And it's just, yeah, like a lot of the, sessions and stuff out there that like I just I just think I don't want to like um diss anyone but it's just like they're all beautifully shot um in nice recording studios or nice radio stations um but somehow like, they don't represent they're it's a little sterile uh and they don't I don't they don't capture the silliness of you know the the silliness of music and the chaos that I see and love about, you know, a, a music scene where people are talking shit and playing and cracking stupid jokes to their friends and yeah. like the stuff that happens at gigs, you don't get any of that and it's very rare to get that kind of personality that, that, that musicians have. So I, just, I think we just wanted to capture something that that, that felt like more of a a representation of that that sort of anarchic thing that happens in, yeah. in the scene. Well, I think that really comes across. Thank you. Yeah, mm. yeah, and I th- and I think I mean that's the thing. Like taking that's what for us. It's not the way what we always want to do. I think we want to go back into the studio, but we like the idea of taking it on the road and capturing gigs and the chaos of having an audience there. I just like it because the pro- the whole project is also is kind of reflects the chaos that you're trying to capture as well in a sense. You're just like, we're going to fucking put it on the road. Let's do it. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. But I mean like we were, yeah, it's, it's definitely a bit of a struggle organizing it all, but also we like for some crazy reason we got CNZ funding. So we're actually able to have a few more resources um, going into it, so that's um, really amazing. Yeah, awesome. Um, I, it's just crazy. Some of the artists here on there, are like some of my favorite artists at the moment, like Ben Woods and Christchurch, is going to be awesome. And Night Lunch, shout out Night Lunch, that's going to be wild. I can't wait to watch all of these. You know, and the yeah. bats. Seeing the bats on VHS will just be like, yeah, great. It'll be great. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I like that. Is that it instantly produces a sense of nostalgia, and I, I think, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely a very nostalgic person. I like the idea that you can you can basically create nostalgia instantly. Yes. Um, just by using obsolete and an obsolete format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the that's the thing with like the pristineness and the new technology, and it's kind of the same for recording. I think at the moment where it's like you kind of everything's so good now. You almost have to build the shittiness back, and you have to you have to put the dirt back into it as yeah. opposed to trying to get dirt out of it, which was the way up until like now. Yeah, and the thing, yeah, like, it's, I mean, maybe it's just because I 
um, because of what I'm doing at the moment. But I get all these ads for like a CRT, CRT monitor filter and <laughs> right. um, like basically all of these different effects that you can put on your things to make them look like old technology. Like I think it might just be because I do a lot of searches for these things. Yeah, I you're end like, up getting Facebook ads for... The, they have your credit card detail, your card details for sure. They know your transaction history. Yeah. They're like, we've got them, boys. But it's so strange, yeah, like all these people... Uh, yeah, just wanting to degrade to that technology. <laughs> it's like you've got 4K, this amazing technology, this huge resolution and you're like trying to degrade it to this, you know, something you can barely even see. Yeah, it seems like, a, now that you put it that way, it seems like a weird middle ground. Like why not either like just use the, if you're trying to replicate the technology that we had, that technology is still around. And if you, if you want to, if we've got this brand new technology, then why not try and see where that can go in the opposite direction? Trying mm. to like just use the new technology to make it look like it's old technology seems like a weird kind of middle ground. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was saying to, um, had an interview with Callum from Hans Puckett the other day. Oh, shout out, Callum. Yeah, and he was, we were just talking about, you know, whether that's like, what at what level that kind of fetishizing of, obsolete technology is um, just gratuitous. Right. Because um, team sports are on the same kind of like, um, not the same aesthetic vibe, but they definitely like incorporate a bit of like uh, te technological stuff. Yeah. But I think we, we justified our own decisions by, well, I said that, that we, you know, if you just add the filter later, it's like that's just pure aesthetics. Hmm. But if you're using this technology itself, like that does actually define a lot of stuff. It makes decisions for you. Limitations. And, and there's limitations and that changes the process entirely. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I'm just justifying our, <laughs> our decision here a little bit. But I, I think th it's justified. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you've nailed it. Um, I, you did bring it up, like this whole idea of like, yeah, you've got an album coming out, time to create all the content, to, like to do all the stuff. Was that the case when you were releasing your, like has it, has, was has that pressure gotten greater over your career? Definitely, right? Yeah, but I remember even even uh, when Chant Darling came out, our US label bought me a I can't remember what the camera's called a flip cam or something. It was like an H. It was just it was just a basically an iPhone camera, but it was a standalone HD video camera. Right, and like we need some content. <laughs> Um, I don't know whether they even put it in those terms, but, right. but the writing was on the wall in 2010. Mm. Um, but it's just become very much more front and center. You having to do a lot more work is um, like having to generate a lot more of that stuff yourself. Um, it used to be that you'd just be media opportunities that you would do, that your publicist yeah. would arrange. Um, but it feels like there's heaps more stuff that you have to, um, you're programming playlists and mixtapes and doing these sessions and um, for very small audiences uh, with minimal financial gain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like definitely no, there doesn't seem to be any direct link between the work you do 
you know, like I spent so long doing one of those like, you know, programming a, a, a mix or something like mm. for some website. And it's like, I don't know how many people read that. It yeah. spends me, I, I spent hours and hours doing it. Um, so it's just, become, yeah, like that stuff would becomes pretty um, taxing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't, yeah, I think that's the thing. Like there's no real way to tell how much it helps because doing all that stuff, like even if someone listens to it or sees the thing you do, you don't know who that person is and you, you have no way to actually identify that person and talk directly to that person anyway. Yeah. So what is it? It's essentially all just a big brand awareness campaign. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, and putting it that way from like what it used to be, it just seems like we've taken like, well, media places used to be responsible for creating content. And the whole interface was when a musician had a thing they were putting out, you, they would in, in, input with the media. But now we've just taken all those media responsibilities and just shoved them straight onto the musician themselves. Yeah. We're like, okay, you are the media now. Yeah, and then just a company that's based in California just syndicates that, that content for free that you've done all this work on um, and you just hope that it has some fringe benefits in terms of exposure yeah yeah it's hard to like it's hard to kind of grasp how quickly it has like it's it's very easy to be like oh you know music's really changed in the last like 10 20 years in terms of like the industry and like on the shallow level like i think a lot of people really understand that but when you start actually getting into the whole process and behind the how, especially like what behind the scenes was like before, like like ten years, fifteen years ago, to how it is behind the scenes now. It's it's like it is a completely different world, and there's so much more time. And then like Daniel Eck from Spotify gets up and just says like the CEO is like, you guys just need to make more music, make more music. Yeah, but it's like I mean, it seems to be to like the change right now is as profound as say the change from no recorded music <laughs> like you know I mentioned yeah. these orchestras are like these records are gonna fuck us up <laughs> yeah. you know like the idea that you like that was a huge shift yeah um, but yeah and it's not just the music industry it's like it's, it's this huge paradigm shift in the economy um, yeah it's a lot to grasp yeah and I can't help but like even just talking about it gives me the sense, like I'm kind of doing things to kind of get around that because I had that sense when I was like in my last band. I just like the whole thinking about how to put a record out and then never being happy with, the, and then kind of blaming myself for essentially being like, oh, well, I didn't get it out to enough people or whatever. Or like, oh, I, I could have done it. That idea of like, oh, I could have somehow done that better. I just got so sick of that that cycle because that feeling would make me not want to make I'd, it would extend the time of pe the time between me making the next batch of music or doing it again. Yeah, and I just that was such a toxic cycle for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a nasty business. I just want to yeah, like that's a big part of why I'm not rushing into making another Lawrence Arabia record. Or it's just just not wanting to put myself in that position. And it would either, and it's kind of the same whether I release a record through another label or do it myself. I'm either fucked off with the label for not doing a good enough job or, or pissed off with myself for letting myself down. Yeah. And it's just, 
it, I think we need to, you know, we all need to cut ourselves a little bit of slack. Yeah. Like you congratulate yourself for making cool music and the business side either works or it doesn't. But I mean, it's just such a vague, it's just it's such a crapshoot now. Um, I just wanted to, yeah, I just want to enjoy it. You know, it's such a uh, silly, wonderful job that I, you know, like I want to be able to appreciate that rather than getting bitter about the business side of things. Like, I, Yeah. That's why I think that kind of sentiment and, and also the sentiment you were talking about in terms of like writing about the subjects of, that you're, of your life that you're encountering now, mm. both of those things make me think of, yeah, I put beers down there, right? I brought beers up with me. Hang on. But where did they go? I think Benji, did Benji take them? Because I don't see them, James. Isn't that strange? I definitely brought them up. Right. Oh. Success. Woo. Don't hold your breath anymore at home, everybody. We found the beers. Um, you is, can open that. Is, well, I'm right. going to bring up the Phoenix Foundation. Yes. Because I think like, thank you very much. Um, both of those sentiments make me think of the Phoenix Foundation, who for me are like, that's, that's, they're, I'm a huge fan, especially of their last two records. Right. And I think why I'm such a big fan of it is because they have somehow managed to find a way to write about almost like the, not, not only the mundanity of like becoming older as a musician and having families and things like that, but also like a kind of, um, self-awareness of what people the expectations or like the usual thing for people their age making music are as well like I, I i think immediately of like um give up your dreams which for me was like you know now that we're older are we even part of the scene it's just such a, a great line and it but it but it's a testament to like how rare i think or how difficult maybe it is to take that period of a life and apply it to a popular music um, audience who, as you said, are mostly listening to and being given um, like uh, <laughs> horny music. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's but it, it just makes me think of them and like yeah, it 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 it, it must be a really hard thing to do. Yeah, and, yeah, they're geniuses, but. <laughs> and I didn't know that you worked with um, Luke Buddha to uh, make um, Chant Darling, right? No. Yeah, Luke and Sam. Luke and Sam. Yeah. Which um, I, I had never never knew that before, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we just um, got together. I can't remember how long it was now, maybe a week or something. I was in Wellington towards the end of recording that and um, both of them just helped with the overdubs and kind of just finishing it because I was just at that point I was going kind of mad in terms of like this is I think this is pretty much done yeah what right. what do I need to do now like I just lost I'd been working on it for three years which at the time I was 26 27 or something it mm. seemed like forever three years at that at that point so um I just needed someone else to help me yeah of course yeah um in terms of like because you've, you've collaborated say like you you've helped have people work with you to either finish music or make new music. Um, those guys, and obviously um, you, you did, Conan Moxon worked with you as well. 
um, and then and 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 in Barb as well. But um, what about uh, I always think about Mike Fabulous. Yeah, F- F- Fabulous Arabia was I think now that I've talking to you properly and hearing you talk about kind of like the silliness of music in a sense. For me, like that project makes a lot more not a lot more sense, but I I, I kind of see that in a, in a bit more of a light now of, of your personality. And I think that, um, how was it, what was it like being in that kind of collaborative um, relationship with him? Because he's fantastic as well. Yeah, I mean, that was, that, that was a hugely like massive relief to, to find someone whose music uh, was coming in a totally different direction than, than what I would generate myself mm. uh, and just getting to play on it. Um, I mean, play in not the musical sense, but in the childish sense. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, we, yeah, that was a very, and I think, uh, like, for me, I felt no uh, pressure about writing the lyrics on that stuff. I just wrote silly stuff about growing up in Christchurch and uh, just a bunch of weird stuff. And I think because I don't think Mike's super comfortable with that aspect or at all. So I think that was a relief for him, but it was also a relief for me to not be worried about all of the other musical aspects. And I could be a little bit more pastiche and um, it was kind of drawing on some very vague knowledge of like early 70s soul funk music that I had. Yeah, right. Um so yeah, it was a, it was a really fun experience. He's great. I've seen him a lot as Lord Echo. Yeah. Um, through the Flamingo Pear parties, um, which my friends Luke and Brad run, and um, and I it's it, 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 every now and then I come back to 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 uh, Fabius Arabia. No. Mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I always get it around the wrong way, and just be like, this is. It seems to me like a really truly like singular thing that is very separate from both of the other things I associate with both of you guys. It's such a fantastic, fantastic project. And it's, and it's something I want. I like that idea of musicians coming together and almost like modular kind of groupings. We're going to, and to really do new things. Yeah. And the thing is it kind of became its own thing that we, beyond the two of us, um, like the live band, which was kind of a hybrid of Mike's group of musicians in my band. Um, and that became this whole, like we call ourselves the Boogie Boys. and But that was almost this totally different band that wasn't actually Fabulous. Like that's the Fabulous Arabia band. Right. But it became its own totally different thing as well. Like it became this, this, this self-contained band. Is, is, are you more at home live? And like your life, because you were talking about um, the reduction agents and, and like, and then the early Lawrence Arabia shows, and it was like a big outlet for you being on stage and doing that stuff. Like, is that your? If you had to do one, like just to do the songwriting, recording, or do the live, which one would it be for you? I think it would be the live. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is kind of strange because I don't like, I don't book shows very often. <laughs> I don't like. I feel I get really stressed about the idea of it. But I forget the 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 um, adrenaline and gratification of a live show is so instant in a way that um, recording, especially recording on your own, is not. 
Yeah. Um, it's demoralizing and, dep- <laughs> and depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and on the whole, life, the life experience is not demoralizing or depressing. It's, up, it's the opposite. Mm. Do, have you had like a favorite setup in terms of live performances over the years? Uh, they're just not really. They, uh, most of them are really satisfying. Um, and they all, I mean, each thing responds to the previous one. And like, if I've tend to, if I tend to book it, like, I mean, for, for, for financial reasons and for other reasons, like, I'll book a big tour with a big band and then I'll lose money uh, <laughs> and then have to book a solo tour. But right. both of those things are uh, completely different uh, and, and sort of equally as satisfying. I mean, playing on my own can be a little bit lonely, just the traveling aspect, because um, I tend to not to tra- travel with anyone. And it's just sometimes it can be a bit isolating, but but the experience of being a, a, a sort of raconteur on stage on my own is and and having people like laugh at my lyrics it, that doesn't happen at, in a band setting. So I can fall on the whole time. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it becomes like a kind of weird musical comedy show. So um, yeah, both of those uh, can be equally as thrilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you know, a lot of people talk, talk about like the reduction agent shows just being like just full noise a lot of the time. And I, yeah, I really because re- that's kind of how I really enjoy. I I think I enjoy a great live show more than I enjoy a great recording, even though they are very close. But it's and it's crazy how so often bands or musicians tend to. There's very rarely it's both. It usually it tends to be like we're great at one side and we're good at the other, um, which is really interesting how that happens. Um, I grew up in Timaru. You you grew up in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. You would you did all high school there, and then did you move straight out of high school? I moved straight after university, so I went to University of Canterbury. You did, yeah, and then moved up here. How as someone like who's Grew up in the South Island, like in Christchurch, and lives here in, in Auckland. Did you ever imagine yourself settling here? Uh, I think as soon as I came here, I was like, oh, this is really nice. Right. It was just nice, nice to not feel like a fish out of water. I think I, yeah, as soon as I got here, I just, it was just nice being surrounded by hundreds of people that were, uh, would have been total outsiders who people yelled at on the street in Timaru or. Or yeah. Christchurch, um, but they were just like, "Oh, this is just normal." Like K Road is just full of these people, people like me. Um, yeah, did you have that kind of ex- a bit more of like a lonely experience growing up in Christchurch? Yeah, I with mean, the I, interest you had, or I mean, I was, as I said, I was, you know, I'm fairly good at responding to my environment, so it's not like I, I didn't go around. Like, no one understands me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I didn't just. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't set myself up as a. Um, this kind of weirdo. I wasn't deliberately acting out a lot when mm. I was in Christchurch. I just would go to rugby games, and <laughs> and just get on and just I try and fit in to some degree, but I couldn't. I couldn't escape the interests that I had. Yeah. Um. I, and I think it was just it was just freeing coming up here and discovering discovering that you didn't have to hide that in any way. And did you do? Did you have any musical output during your like university time down in Christchurch? Yeah, I had a band called Cuba Seventy Three, and we like you know played at the Ducks and Jet Set Lounge, and uh, yeah. But uh, 
and I started doing stuff. I mean, it's quite strange to think about back on it, but I was, I was really kind of um, from like high school a little bit, not damaged, but um, just kind of I'd really hidden myself and was really unconfident. Mm. Um, and it took a lot of getting out of that. Um, I just wasn't, um, I just wasn't comfortable in myself, and 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 so it took a long time to kind of start to explore my interests, because I, I just never really had any sense of who I was or what I wanted to be. Um, but in the last year of university, I, I started doing a few things that were uh, in the zone of this of the career that I've ended up, and I did it. You know, started DJing at RDU. Oh, and, yeah. st- and started writing a music column in, for Cantor magazine. Um, yeah, and and I just sort of was started exploring around the fringes just because I enjoyed going to gigs and and I was just I just gravitated towards musicians. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it was only really when I got up here that I felt um, more confident. Yeah, and, and and surrounded, and suddenly it was just like, oh, I don't have to. Put up with the shit I put up with in Christchurch anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah, it's definitely a. I think it is. I don't want to say like a South Island only experience because I think small smaller towns in New Zealand everywhere might have that kind of experience. Yeah, I think I think it's pretty. It's a pretty universal experience. <sighs> Even coming from like the shore or something like you know you or you know if you're not instead of the isthmus, like I feel like it's probably less likely that you've found yourself surrounded by bohemian people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you do Smoke Free Rock Quest? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, well, we didn't have any success. Right. Yeah. <laughs> do you remember like what was your, any good band names that you came up with there? Um, our band was called Dive. And uh, nice. who was there? There was a band called, I can't remember who won. Oh, actually Anika, Anika Moore won that year. Oh, wow. And I think Anika Moore was in it. She was in the same year at school as I was. And who else was there? Like Eddie, Eddie Castillo's band Android from Ashburton, they played, they were the ones who'd won the year before. Right. And, and they played the, the final as like the big um, star band. And uh, that's so good. There was another band that played at a heat called King Zog. And that was um, some people who ended up forming that band, Solar. Oh, yeah. Um, I think they went to St. Andrews College. Stack classic. Yeah. But they were, that was a group of people who ended up becoming successful musicians in the world. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a funny time, Smoke Free Rock Quest. Especially in South, like that was the one gig I had in Timaru each year. It was like, well, we've got our Smoke Free Rock Quest gig and then if we do well, we'll have like a school store show and that's our two shows for the year. Yeah. Until we like, until MySpace happened and we could, our little island of like Timaru, we could finally message like Christchurch bands and go play with them up in the media club and shit like that. Like that was, that was my universe. Yeah. But that's, you know, such an exciting time, you know, even in the context of that, just like so even just playing Rock Quest, even playing yeah in a room amplified through a PA, just that stuff is so exciting. Are you? Where are you doing the show in Christchurch? Are you doing it at the Wunderbar? No, doing it at uh, Blue Smoke. Blue Smoke. Blue Smoke. Oh, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah. There's been a. I'm really. I go down. My parents have moved to Leeston, mm-hmm. um, up from Timaru to Leeston. So big, big move. Um, yep. <laughs> 
Dan Carter country. <laughs> yeah, Dan Carter country. Uh, from Jack Lovelock country to Dan Carter country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been spending a bit of time down there and I, I really, I'm really kind of enjoying Christchurch in that area a lot more than I ever enjoyed it um, previously. And it just feels like, like, you know, just hearing people like Ben Woods and obviously like the uh, melted ice cream guys and T54 and all that happening there. It's like there's all the ingredients there for something actually quite cool and, and fun happening in there. And I'm just kind of like, I'm always like looking at it be like, is this year the year that it all just kind of kicks off? Um, and I think, because I think it eventually it will. I don't see why. It's 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 all like the dark room and space academy all bring it together. Have you been to dark room and that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a good vibe. Um, you brought up rugby, but I, I, the only thing that I was like, oh, I need to talk to James about this is your love of cricket. Yeah. Um, I it, there is this weird thing. It's not weird because I love cricket as well. Um, of like New Zealand musicians and cricket. Yeah. Like it is actually really a thing. Um. Uh, do you get that sense? Like everyone just like, why is cricket like the musicians sport in general? You don't get many musicians being like, you know what? I just fucking love rugby, dude. Most musicians are like, I love the black caps. I mean, maybe, I mean, there's definitely like a type of person <laughs> that ends up, I don't know. There's just a kind of physiological, psychological thing between music and cricket yeah. here. I don't know. I don't know why that is. But I you just see people I don't know whether um I don't know, Peter Riddell plays cricket, but you see people and he's like, he'd be a good cricketer. <laughs> you know, Marlon Williams, he'd be a good cricketer. I bet he he rolls the arm over for sure. Yeah. And you just like you look around, I mean and they just the build, you you would be a good cricketer. I I'm okay. Yeah, I'd be. But, be, you, yeah. but you're, I'm not like that guy. Isaac's a rugby player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but you, I don't know. There's just some. Yeah, I don't know. It's just. It's, it's yeah. You're I don't right. know what I haven't given it much thought, but you. I mean, it's definitely it, it is a thing, and lots of the people I share my passion for cricket with are fellow musicians. Yeah, like, um, because I, I, the dark room made me think of it. Because last time I was there before I moved up to Auckland, the Beths were touring through and they played dark room. And um, Jono had the the cricket set with him. And he's like, there's a little, that little alleyway next to He's like, cool, are we going to roll the arm over? I'm like, yeah, 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 let's do it. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, like, one of my favorite bands, the Nine Eye Express, Scott Kendall's band, who yeah. would literally, you know, named after a cricketer, would sing about. Um, <laughs> like cricket matches I just it's it's something that brings a lot of joy to my life the the amalgamation of cricket and music I mean it's yeah it's wonderful I mean I think that someone needs to write a thesis about, I mean I, I don't yeah I don't know I had a really kind of glorious period for a while when I was um, when the the like we did this tour in 2009 2010 the Greats of New Zealand Cricket Tour. I think I might remember that. And it kind of started this period where I was in communication with New Zealand Cricket quite a bit. Oh like God. they, like the Because New Zealand Cricket used to be based in Christchurch and the press officer from New Zealand Cricket came down and brought me a, presented me with a signed cricket bat. Um, <sighs> like came to Owl's Bar. Oh my God. <laughs> and, then, and then I started getting like um, invited to go on the Sky Sport Cricket Show to like be a pundit. 
um, which I never did because I was like, I don't actually really know anything about <laughs> cricket. And then like I knew another guy that I'd met on Richard Irvine, who was the press, the head of press at, at cricket. And then I'd like I got free ticket to go to Lords, and I oh went to God. the I went to the New Zealand Cricket Awards. Like I was one of three people who weren't cricketers at the New Zealand Cricket Awards. It was like this glory day where I was just like, why am I even here? Like urinating with Martin Crow. Um, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was quite exciting. That's but, amazing. I'm very jealous of all those experiences. Have you like, favourite, who's, who's like your, your, your black cap that you most identify with? I'm pretty... Current or former? Any. I think, I think any. I mean, like, Chris that's Harris a, is a... <laughs> yeah. Like, I like Chris Harris because he's in a lot of... Well, in some regards, is not an exceptional... I was going to say he's not an exceptional athlete, but he, he is clearly... He's incredibly agile and amazing hand-eye coordination. You know, just one of the best fielders ever. Um, but there's something... I don't know. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, you can just see someone like Chris Harris and, like, I would potentially enjoy hanging out with Chris Harris. Right. Um, you know, these guys smoke the durries <laughs> like a drink. And, and it's just sort of in a way that I think that's another part of the reason why on the whole musicians gravitate towards cricketers because they kind of identify with them more. Mm. Um, and there's still people like Jimmy Neesham who just seem quite cool. Um, in a way that most rugby players, you know. Don't but, seem as approachable. Yeah, and all they're just like, yeah, boys did a good job. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like cricketers are more likely to say something original and interesting than a rugby player who's just like so in the team mentality that it becomes so boring. Yeah. Um, there's a few more original thoughts going on. In the, it seems like there's a few more individuals yeah, in the sport. yeah. And I think that the 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 ability to express yourself as an individual and 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 what's happening out there? I don't know. Some waters for. I mean, it doesn't matter. We don't have to stop talking. Like but it's it. just something it's interesting. All the pointer studio boys are just looking up at me like, "What is that?" <laughs> um, and if you if you, if you had made it into say the cricket sphere with the talent and you had fostered it and you made it in some teams where what kind of role do you think you'd you that uh, James Milne would be playing in the black caps I mean I would definitely be a number 11 batsman I was never a very good bats a bats person at all but I um, I'm a bowler right and yeah kind of a hopefully a kind of challenging uh medium fast difficult difficult length bit of movement off the seam that would be where I'll be aiming at you could totally be a pundit on the cricket show I think I think we should have another crack at getting onto there yeah I'd like to do that yeah. <laughs> um, I've we're we're almost at the, at the end um, but the the pitch for you is something that I've always me and my group of friends like Jamie and Karen from sports and a few other friends have always thought it'd be a really great idea to put on a charity cricket match of musicians and have like a North versus South yep. cricket team. Because there's, again, so many musicians are into it. You could have, you could hire or like work with a club 
sell some tickets, have like even a band playing at like half time or doing like DJ set or whatever. I assume we could sign you up for that. 100%. (laughs) Who? I need a bit of warning though, because I haven't. No, totally. I haven't rolled the arm over for a while. No, of course. And I I would injure myself quite badly. I think we'd have to give everyone involved a good six months at least. Um, The only question is. Do you think who do you think would have the stronger cricket team out of musicians, the North Island musicians or the South Island musicians? Oh man, that's hard. Oh. I just don't know about the I don't know about the the South Island talent base anymore. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I definitely know a good number of pretty pretty strong cricketers up here. But I've no doubt that there'll be some really great ones down there as well. Just got to find them. We're just going to start headhunting now. Yeah. I think it would be a doozy. (laughs) I think it would be a doozy too. Um, Thank you so much for talking to me, James. No worries. Um, And good luck for the tour. Thank you. Uh, We could do plugs. I think um, your – did you say the tour starts next weekend? Yeah, so it's starting on the twenty Friday the twenty eighth in Wellington, Phoenix Foundation, Orchestra Spheres, Esther. So that would have just happened because this comes out on that Sunday. Okay, all right. And then, so then the weekend after that is the South Island ones. Yeah, the South Island ones. So Friday, fourth of June, Castles, Blue Smoke, The Bats, Ben Woods, Violent French, and the Horrible. Oh, that's such a good lineup. And then Saturday, fifth of June, um, Night Lunch. It, um, night lunch, wet specimen, and Juno is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's super exciting. So and and where's where where do people watch the streams? So the streams will be on our website or on our uh, well, if I can get the embed working, that's a bit stressful. But um, yeah, at least on our YouTube channel, which is going live with Milks and Chabby, Chabby and Milks, Chabs and Milky. I, yeah. I do that <laughs> fucking every time, Chabs yeah. and Milk. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's actually some obscure number because we don't have enough followers to get our own uh, URL. <laughs> so it's just like um, YouTube channel MZW3653. You, don't you only need like 100 subscribers? No, you need 1,000. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one of our aims for the tour was we'll build up our subscriber base okay. so we can actually get a usable URL for our YouTube channel. Or anyone who... <laughs> That's such yeah. a good aim. But I'm sure if you search going live with Chaz and Milky on YouTube, you'll find our channel. If you're listening now, go find it and subscribe. Please. We need to help get that URL for our friend. That'd be great. <laughs> Just wanted to see what you do with the silence there. <laughs> um, thank you so much for talking with me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Um, uh, and thanks for listening. New episode every Sunday, as always. See you here next time. Cheers.